0: The Electronic electronic Intifada. intifada. The The Electronic intifada. Intifada. This is the Electronic Intifada Podcast. In Oakland, I'm Nora Barrows Friedman. You're listening to the Electronic Intifada Podcast. We head to the Democratic National Convention in Philadelphia to catch up with several people who have been attending events and organizing actions in relation to Palestine as the DNC platform aims to bolster the US's alliance with Israel and continue to support its crimes with billions in aid every year. We'll be speaking with our editor, Rania Khalek, who has been on the floor the past few days and has been tracking the pro-Israel neocon support of Hillary Clinton's nomination, as well as Jennifer Bing of the American Friends Service Committee and Josh Rubner of the US campaign to end the Israeli occupation. We now go to Philadelphia, where we're joined by Rania Khalak, Associate Editor of the Electronic Intifada. Rania, tell us what you've been doing there in Philly and how Palestine solidarity activists have reacted there at the DNC to the nomination of Hillary Clinton as uh, the best democratic hope for the November ballot.
1: Well, Nora, it's been really, really incredible to watch what's taking place here at the convention. Uh, You know, when you say Palestine solidarity activists, it's almost as though that's who the Bernie Sanders delegates are. Uh, An entire uh, big chunk of this party now on the convention floor. Uh, Bernie Sanders delegates are holding up, I support Palestinian uh, rights signs uh, alongside their Bernie Sanders signs. Uh, They're all, they're wearing stickers um, in support of Palestine. They're wearing, there's there's tons of people wearing casillas. Uh, There are, I mean, they're really at this point, it's almost like there's no difference between the, the progressive agenda anymore and support for Palestine. It's on the same page. And I don't think that's ever really been the case. In recent years, we've always had this progressive except for Palestine. I think what you're, you know, what I'm really watching is the complete disintegration of that whole um, movement, if you want to call it, of progressive except Palestine. You, they're really, you know, there's no difference between supporting from Bernie Sanders supporters. There's no difference between the importance of supporting free college education and universal health care and Palestinian rights. Uh, You also, I mean, there were there were from the California delegation. There was a lot of um, some of the most enthusiastic Sanders supporters were the nurses uh, union union people, and you know they also had the the stickers and the signs um, alongside their paraphernalia against the TPP and for universal health care. So I think this is a new dynamic uh, that we're seeing, where you really do have a a, a major, important, and what really is the future of the Democratic Party if they if they you know let it be. that is very pro-Palestine, that is on their agenda. And another, you know, another thing that's been taking place, though, at the same time, is that the DNC has been policing Sanders supporters when, you know during the, the speeches that we see on the floor from various uh, Democratic Party uh, uh, figures. Uh, whenever Hillary Clinton's name is mentioned, you hear a lot of boos and chants of... Um, you know, booze and chants of like refusing to vote for her or refusing to support her, or in support of Sanders. He said, from the Bernie delegations uh, scattered across the, the convention. So, uh, and when you know, and when that, um, and so there's a lot of opposition, obviously, to Hillary Clinton. And sometimes what they do is they also hold up signs for Bernie Sanders, and they also hold up signs for Palestinian rights. And the DNC, uh, you know, they'll go around and they'll start tearing down those signs. Is what I've been told by several delegates, and I saw it happen on one occasion several Bernie Sanders delegates are telling me that their, um, the DNC officials will come through and they will tear off, their, their, they'll tear away or, or take away their Palestinian for human rights signs. And the reasoning that they're giving is that the signs are not DNC approved. Um, and I guess it's kind of true because, you know, Palestinian rights are not DNC approved from, you know, we saw that in the Democratic Platform Committee that supporting Palestinian freedom and rights is not on the agenda of the Democratic Party, um, and while this is all happening, though, on the floor of the convention, you know you have yesterday all these uh, U.S. senators that are uh, that signed on to um, support increasing military aid to Israel for the new memorandum that Israel's going to sign with the U.S. And one of those senators was Tim Kaine, Hillary Clinton's vice presidential pick, uh, and so you know that just uh, that really highlights this this big massive disconnect between the party elite. Uh, and the the progressive base of the party. Um, And I mean, I think Palestine is probably just the most clear cut example of that disconnect, but it exists on other progressive issues as well.
0: Rania, tell us a little bit more about this disconnect. Uh, You wrote in The Intercept this week that Hillary Clinton has received a ton of support from neoconservative political actors. Uh, Tell us more about this and what it could mean for, for Israel policy in Palestine if Clinton wins, or if Trump wins for that matter.
1: Well, it's, so those are very important questions, and so I'll start by addressing what you just referenced. This is this article I wrote for the Intercept about a fundraiser I went to last week. It was a private fundraiser put on by the Hillary Clinton campaign, uh, and it was on foreign policy. about It was it was about foreign policy. It was a fundraiser for foreign policy professionals for Hillary, and the person who headlined that fundraiser is Robert Kagan, a probably one of the most prominent neoconservative thinkers. Um, He was a co-founder of Project for a New American Century with Bill Kristol or PNAC, and uh, that is the think tank, the neoconservative think tank that in the late 90s really laid out the Iraq War Plan. Um, And, you know, a lot of the people who were involved with that ended up going into the Bush administration. And so Robert Kagan has been at the forefront of this neoconservative ideology that has Literally burned down the Middle East from Iraq to now we're seeing um, you know the, that play out across the region in in, in Syria in uh, and, um, and uh, you know Libya uh, and and beyond with ISIS which is really a result of the Iraq War uh, so Robert Kagan it, 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 he's also you know there's a bit of, you know he represents the split also in the Republican Party uh, which is, has for several decades been the traditional party of the neoconservative movement. Uh, But what you're seeing now is with Donald Trump, you know, Donald Trump, whether you believe it or not, he has been posturing sometimes as an isolationist, saying that he wants to reduce American military abroad. He wants to stop, you know, he doesn't want to bomb other countries. We need to stop intervening, saying that the Iraq war destabilized the Middle East and created the problems we have today. Um, whether he means that or not, who knows, um, but he is saying it and that's enough to really scare the neoconservatives. And so they've actually fled the Republican party. Uh, and a lot of them like Robert Kagan have fled into the arms of Hillary Clinton, who's welcomed them happily and proudly by allowing Robert Kagan to headline her campaign's official fundraiser. So, um, basically what we see is an alliance forming between the, you know, liberal, of uh, the neoliberal hawks of the Democratic Party and the neoconservatives, we're seeing these two elements uh, converge. Uh, and so, what Robert Kagan did at this fundraiser is he laid out Hillary Clinton's foreign policy vision, which is quite terrifying. Uh, you know, he, he spoke about how, um, how one of the things he kept fear mongering about was how the U.S. public is increasingly hostile to American intervention. Uh, And it's on both sides of the aisle, he said, among Democrats and Republicans, and that is very, very scary for uh, someone like Hillary Clinton, he said, and himself, because Hillary Clinton believes in this world order of intervening abroad and, you know, uh, and making the world a more peaceful place, I guess, by burning down a rock. I'm not really sure what he meant by that. But uh, so so what he was saying is that, well, the American public is wrong. We know better. And so we need to educate and persuade them. so that was interesting. This really this hostility to the American public's um you know uh decreasing appetite for war. Uh and also he mentioned Syria and how uh Hillary Clinton and also there's two women with him um who spoke with him as well who are out of the State Department and um and uh, out of uh, the National Security Council for Joe Biden, uh Amanda Sloat and this woman named Julianne Smith, who are a Democratic Party um establishment in a foreign policy establishment leaders who are sort of rising in the party on that issue, and they spoke about how Hillary Clinton's going to increase intervention in Syria and be better than Obama and more forward thinking and replicate uh, Libya and use Libya as a model. Now, if you look at Libya, Libya is a disaster right now. Uh, Hillary Clinton spearheaded the campaign of regime change in Libya, and now, it's a lawless haven for ISIS. Uh, so, she's, I mean, she, So you know, you can see this pattern developing, right, as Hillary Clinton is clearly proud to be an interventionist, and she's proud to ally herself with people who, you know, we talk about Trump's fascism and how we're terrified because Trump wants to do all these ter- terrible things, and he does want to do a lot of terrible things. I, I'm not, you know, uh, disagreeing with that. However, Hillary Clinton has aligned herself with a, a group of people who are responsible for creating chaotic fascism in other parts of the world. And so uh, it it's really it is a terrifying prospect no matter who wins in November. And on the issue of Israel-Palestine, as we know, uh, People like Robert Kagan, the neoconservatives, you know, Israel is a very important part, sort of essential part, of uh, of their plans across, you know, the region in the Middle East. Is Israel, um, is, is Israel, and the U.S. sort of being on the same side? Support for Israel's uh, apartheid regime, unconditionally, uh, and so you know, Hillary Clinton also, as we've seen throughout this election cycle, is a strong supporter of uh, Israel. You know, one of her biggest campaign contributors is the Bomb, the billionaire media mogul. And so, uh, it, it, you know, the, under the Clinton administration, even as the Democratic Party's base changes on the issue of Israel Palestine, we're going to see an even more supportive um, an administration even more supportive of Israel than Obama has been. If you can even consider, like, if you, even if you can imagine that. Um, so that's a terrifying process as well in terms of what it's going to mean for Palestinians. Uh, and, and as for Donald Trump, I mean, what you do have is this, this interesting dynamic where in this election cycle, both candidates are being funded by pro-Israel billionaires. In Hillary Clinton's case, it's Time Saban who says his major you know, his, his single issue that he cares about is Israel um, and uh, that you know he uh, likes you know influencing policy in Israel's favor. And on the other side, you have Sheldon Adelson, the, uh, billionaire um, casino kingpin who, you know, is is even more right-wing than Heim Saban and, um, you know, supports, like, is very open about his denial of even Palestinians existing. Uh, and he is funding, or he says he's going to be funding Donald Trump. He supports Donald Trump. So basically, no matter who wins in November, uh, it's not going to be a great situation for Palestinians at all. I mean, if anything, I guess the only real difference between the candidates is that Hillary Clinton will be supporting Israel. Uh, continued shift to the right, uh, regardless of that continued shift to the right and sort of fascistic elements rising in Israel, Hillary Clinton will be very supportive of Israel regardless, but she'll speak about it in the rhetoric of two-state solution and peace. Whereas Donald Trump is more openly um, saying things like he, he, you know, he's advocating for Israel to build more settlements uh, and, uh, and and things like this. So, but either way, I mean, Palestinians,
0: whatever happens, Palestinians are screwed. <laughs> All right. Well, Rania Halek, I know you'll be following this election cycle very carefully and tracking the foreign policy in relation to Palestine, of course, as it plays out after the election. Thank you so much for being there for us there at the DNC. And we'll be right back with Josh Rubner of the U.S. campaign to end the Israeli occupation. Thanks, Rania. Great to be with you, Nora. You're listening to the Electronic Intifada podcast. Visit us online at electronicintifada.net or follow us on Twitter at Intifada. The
2: Electronic Intifada. The Intifada Electronica. The Electronic
0: Intifada. And we're back, speaking to journalists and organizers about the Democratic National Convention in Philadelphia as Hillary Clinton secured the nomination and the DNC platform strengthens its support of Israel's policies of violent occupation, incarceration, and land theft in Palestine. We're now joined by Josh Rubner, policy director of the U.S. campaign to end the Israeli occupation and the author of Shattered Hopes, Obama's Failure to Broker Israeli-Palestinian Peace. Josh, thank you so much for being with us on the Electronic Intifada podcast.
3: Thanks so much for having me.
0: So tell us what you were doing the last few days at the DNC in terms of Palestine-centered activism on the floor of the convention and outside.
3: Uh, we did a number of things on Monday morning, the first day of the DNC. We held a panel that was targeted for delegates that looked at uh, whether the U.S. should and is ready to rethink U.S. policy on Israel and the Palestinians. Uh, it was addressed by video by Representative Keith Ellison of Minnesota and in person by Representative Hank Johnson. We also had uh, Dr. Jim Zogby, who was on the platform drafting committee, uh, and Linda Sarsour, who was the most prominent ever Palestinian-American surrogate for a presidential candidate this year, all addressing this issue, it was very well attended, standing room only. And we also worked with delegates in more than 30 states to distribute, I support Palestinian human rights signs, stickers, T-shirts to delegates at the DNC. Uh, I was on the floor of the DNC on Monday evening and saw that many, many delegates uh, were wearing these uh, items that were supportive of Palestinian human rights. And many delegates thanked us for distributing the materials, we actually couldn't get them enough of it. They were going so fast. So I think that this really signals uh, change for the better uh, among the grassroots of the Democratic Party, which I think is becoming more and more supportive of Palestinian human rights.
0: Josh, uh, let's talk about Hillary Clinton's record in relation to Israel and Israeli aggressions against Palestinians, and what her relationship to Israel could look like if she's elected president. Uh, She's already said that she'll fight tooth and nail against the Palestinian-led boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement. And her speech to AIPAC earlier this year was terrifyingly right-wing. You wrote a book about Obama's record on the Palestine issue. What can you say about Clinton's proven record already when it comes to support of Israel, and what uh, we can expect from her if she's elected?
3: Well, historically it's been a very mixed bag with Hillary Clinton. Uh, dating from her time as First Lady. She was the first really nationally prominent political figure to endorse Palestinian statehood in the 1990s. And when she did so, she received a ton of pushback from both Democrats and Republicans in Congress for that stand. The Clinton administration was forced to basically denounce the First Lady uh, and to say that her comments only represented her personal opinion and not those of the U.S. government. So she was a trailblazer in that regard, speaking in support of Palestinian statehood long before it became a central plank of U.S. policy uh, that both Democrats and Republicans embrace. She was, of course, President Obama's first Secretary of State in his first term, uh, and of course, she bears uh, the main. Uh, brunt of the responsibility for the failure of uh, the Obama-led negotiations in uh, 2009-2010, a process which she started on a strong note by demanding that Israel freeze all settlement activity at the outset of the Obama administration, but as I detail In my book, after that initial strong start, it was one climb down after another from the Obama administration and Secretary of State Clinton uh, on this issue. But uh, as she's run for president, her policies, uh, openly declared, as you mentioned, have become uh, progressively uh, worse when it comes to Palestinian rights. Uh, It's obvious that she's doing this to... Uh, placate pro-Israel donors uh, in the Democratic Party base, most notably Chaim Saban, who's declared himself to be a one-issue person, and that issue is Israel. And he donates tens of millions of dollars to Democratic candidates and to Democratic-linked institutions to promote a pro-Israel narrative within the Democratic Party. But I think that this top-down approach, uh, this sort of uh, elite-centered focus on Israel within the Democratic Party is totally out of step with the base of the party, as we're witnessing at the DNC currently.
0: And uh, in terms of her war against the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement, what can you say about how activists are prepared or preparing to to gear up to counteract um, you know her policies against BDS if she uh, is elected president, or the policies against BDS if Trump is elected president?
3: Well, let's be clear. Hillary Clinton uh, is not driving this anti-BDS legislation. It's being driven on the state level and on the federal level uh, by many different actors. Uh, many different members of Congress are pushing anti-BDS legislation. She's sort of jumped onto this uh, bandwagon Uh, And, you know, despite these very public calls that she's made to, you know, work with Israel and work with its supporters to defeat the BDS movement, uh, it must be clear to all Palestine solidarity activists that the government can impose no conditions or restrictions on our First Amendment right to freedom of expression, to organize for and to advocate campaigns of boycott, divestment, and sanctions. You know, we hear all the time that Israel shouldn't be singled out for special treatment. You can boycott any country in the world. You can boycott any corporation for its policies in this country. And indeed, hundreds, if not thousands, have been targets of boycotts historically, dating back centuries in the history of this country. But suddenly, when activists challenge Israel on its history of uh, violating international law, violating the human rights of the Palestinian people, suddenly politicians are trying to carve out an exemption for Israel and to try to make Israel immune from criticism. And this is a blatantly anti-constitutional effort that if it passes um, at the state and and the federal level, I'm sure will be challenged in the court because the Supreme Court has recognized, in a case brought to it as part of a, boycott led by the NAACP, that political acts of boycott occupy the highest rung in the hierarchy of First Amendment values in this country.
0: Josh Rubner of the U.S. campaign to end the Israeli occupation. Um, finally, Josh, uh, we're going to be speaking with Jennifer Bing of the American Friends Service Committee in one moment, but uh, and she's been working with uh, directly with lawmakers to, to to challenge uh, the, the US's position on uh, its support of Israel. what's maybe one or two of the most important things that that people can do right now um, in support of Palestinian human rights when it comes to um, talking with their legislators?
3: Uh, well that's a great question and uh, legislators will be on their August recess uh, very soon and will be meeting with constituents in their home districts. So it's very important to bring up with legislators the current uh, anti-BDS legislation at the congressional level, which is the Combating BDS Act of 2016. This is an act which tries to encourage states to engage in the types of anti-BDS legislation that we've seen popping up around the country and also attempts to immunize Uh, states against any potential lawsuits that may arise from the negative effect that this might have on corporations, which find themselves on a blacklist as a result of these anti-BDS measures, which are blatantly uh, unconstitutional. Congress cannot encourage the states uh, to pass unconstitutional legislation. So uh, really, this is a, a key piece of legislation that activists should be raising with their members of Congress during the August recess. And also, the Obama administration is in the final stages of negotiating a deal for additional weapons to Israel, which will be in the neighborhood of $40 billion over the next 10 years. For anyone who's keeping track, that's $10 billion more than President Bush negotiated with Israel in 2007. It's a very worrying development. Obviously, Israel should not get another dollar of U.S. aid uh, because these weapons are used in violation of U.S. law to injure and kill innocent Palestinians by the thousands over the past few decades. So this is another issue to bring up with uh, legislators during the August recess.
0: All right, Josh Rubner, Policy Director of the U.S. Campaign to End the Israeli Occupation. Josh, thanks so much for being with us on the Electronic Intifada podcast. Thank you, Nora. And we'll be right back with Jennifer Bing uh, after this song by Gaza based revolution makers. Stay tuned.
1: Dün
3: يوم بعدي بيجي غيره بالعافيه بأمل يوم جديد فيش فيه عاصفة نحسد فيه أحلامنا العارزة نطلق فيه ضموحاتنا الصامدة اغني للشعب يبقى تصارده دائما بيدور عالشعب الشعب سنة جنبه ليحمي ظاهره ده في المواحف القضيه باسم القضية يا شهاده شهادة يا حرية فمش بكفي يبكي ليكون بشر فيروح
0: كبشة شهادة ليحقق نصر فالموت أصبح تصار مش خسارة فبعدم نفسي مقابل
2: Hi, this is Jennifer Bing and I, I direct the Middle East program for the American Friends Service Committee based out of the Chicago office.
0: And Jennifer, um you're joining us from the Democratic National National Convention there in Philadelphia. Tell us why you're there and what you've been up to the last couple of days.
2: Well, I came because uh, of my work on the No Way to Treat a Child campaign that um, has been focusing on trying to shift the narrative around Palestinian human rights with members of Congress. Uh, And I guess I initially came thinking that, oh, maybe I'll run into um, delegates and talk about our work and, and... tried to sway some views about Palestinian human rights and the great movement that is growing in this country. But I have to say I was a bit naive for one thing. uh, The convention is being held out at uh, the stadium, which is outside of this downtown center city. And while delegates are um, taking buses from various hotels in center city out to the convention, um the the kind of trek out there isn't quite as accessible as as I would have thought, and a lot of the uh, people's convention that's happening and and has been keeping us all busy running from event to event in the last few days has all been more focused on center city, Philadelphia. so while we have had some delegates coming in and out of uh, our event, uh, which has been great, uh, the kind of handshaking and uh, talking to delegates, uh, I haven't participated in that in the way
0: maybe I had
2: dreamed of doing.
0: Jennifer, uh, you and the AFSC, as well as uh, Defense for Children International Palestine, have joined forces uh, with the No Way to Treat a Child campaign, which you mentioned. Um, And recently, as the electronic Intifada covered, Representative Betty McCollum of Minnesota Uh, Delivered a letter to the Obama administration um, urging them, urging the president uh, specifically to take action regarding protection of the rights of Palestinian children. Um, With uh, Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump or whoever it will be, uh, assuming the position of president in January, how will the No Way to Treat a Child campaign continue to pressure lawmakers? I mean, Hillary Clinton is. Uh, is so fervently on Israel's side, um, and is and is a, a hawk when it comes to Israeli policies, and is is very much in favor of Israel's um, ongoing humanitarian disaster in Palestine. Um, how are you going to uh, to continue to pressure either the Democrats or the Republicans, whoever it's going to be?
2: I think there's always going to be an opening. Uh, I'm optimistic because I think. Uh, when we talk about children and we talk about the future, that no matter where you are politically right or left, that it's, a, it's at least a way to start the conversation. And that's really what the campaign is about, that it is starting the conversation about Palestinian human rights by looking specifically at children. And certainly, as you see in the last year, uh, not only the increased detention of children, but killing children Extra to extrajudicial killings, it's alarming, and uh, I, I guess I'm optimistic. Uh, I I think that when we started, we didn't think that we would find many members of Congress that would even be open to putting their name to anything publicly about this issue, and and we've gotten over twenty starting to do that on a regular basis. Um, Representative McCollum from Minnesota has not only initiated a a letter, open letter, last year, but she did it again this year. And we're optimistic that she will be working with other members of Congress to to introduce legislation um, still maybe in this session this this year, but also in the next session. So the issue's not going away. Uh, I think that Hillary Clinton, in particular, uh, talks a lot about uh, how it takes a village to raise children, how she has a history of advocating for the rights of children. So we're going to
0: put her to the test on that issue, and uh, we'll see. All right. Well, we're going to continue to watch the No Way to Treat a Child campaign and your work very closely. Jennifer Bing of the American Friends Service Committee joining us from the DNC in Philadelphia. Jennifer, thank you so much for all you do and for being with us on the Electronic Intifada podcast.
2: And thank you, Nora, and the Electronic Intifada for uh, helping us to get the word out to inspire more people to join in this work.
0: that's it for the electronic intifada podcast for news information cultural features and reviews and pointed opinion and analysis visit us online at electronicintifada.net where you can also post comments and sign up for our daily email digest follow us on twitter at intifada radio stations are free to use this podcast and if you're listening on itunes support the electronic intifada podcast by rating it and leaving a review on behalf of all of us at the electronic intifada